Hey everybody, guess what? We're back, baby. We're back with another new episode of the Pavelcast. It's been a few months, and you never knew will there be more, but we got some good, juicy podcast content coming at you. Today on the show, we got Jacob Sidix. Uh, Jacob and I know each other for a while from our consulting days. That's how we met. Worked together for a while. He's now the managing director of Blue Trees Analytics team, you know, passing the torch and so forth. Um, we have a really wide-ranging, fun conversation. Talk about his informatics background, growing up in Bloomington, Indiana, which is a college town. Always our favorite personal finance. We talk about our favorite pies, because this was recorded on March 14th, Pie Day. Uh, we dig into what it takes to become a consultant and how anyone can really move into data analytics space, you know, two different topics. Talk about building remote teams, and that's on everybody's mind these days, as we're going to stay remote. This pandemic is going to be over soon, I hope at least, but I think the, the remote action will stay. So we talk about that. We talk about his travels. Um, he gives us a great tip on personal finance. You need a budget.com, check it out, YNAB. Um, and we teleport to the little 500 bike race, which is modeled after the Indiana 500 race. So, wide ranging, fun conversation, lots of laughs, lots to learn. Enjoy. Um, I'm live, 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 we're super live with the one and only Jacob Sinex. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Pavel. Glad oh, to yeah. be here. Pleasure. Um, let's see, let's tell people how we know each other. So we, I mean, I guess basically we're we working at the same client doing consulting. We're at UC Health in Colorado. And like I saw your name pop around and knew you were like also a blue tree consultant. I thought you were like a Boy Scout because you always like had answers and links and like well-formatted emails. I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing. What if we see? <laughs> and you were ex-epic. That's all I really knew about it. And that's, I think we never really crossed paths that much, not that I can think of. No, we were both there. I mean, that was almost six years ago now. That was a long, that's almost a long time ago. It was a special time in my life because it was like a big life change. I started consulting for the first time. So it was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? That was fun. Well, and I was just getting back into consulting after being in grad school for three or four years. Got it. Um, and then you eventually came onto like Blue Trees, like whatever internal solutions team, and we worked together. You built, we built that team up. You had a heavy hand in that. I always say, right hand man, you know, designing proposals that I, I was like, I don't know how to do this. Can you just, you know, make it up. You were really good at that. And then um, now you were actually leading that team. So that's that's great. That's awesome. Woo! Yeah, thanks <laughs> for the introduction, Pavel. Yeah. You described then, it perfectly. So that's how we got to know each other as like a professional relationship, but then we kind of, like, you know, uh, developed a, a bit of a, you know, buddy-like, little buddy. I don't know if we're besties as, like, those Jason Calacanis and Chamath. I don't know if you heard of those guys, but, you know, we're, we're buds. You came to visit. We hang out in, across the country. It's been fun. Um, so now you're doing this stuff, consultant. Now you're the director of this, uh, managing director of this team or whatever the title is. And then but going back a little bit, I know that just to give people a little that don't know you a flavor of, like, you know, where you come from, what's your, what's your shtick? Um, 
you're from Indiana, right? Like uh, Indiana, where Indiana University is. Yeah, I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. Grew up there and, and uh, went to Indiana for undergrad and grad school. And um, did you, your parents are both professors or one of your parents is a professor? Well, they're both retired now. My, my mom was a lecturer in the uh, psychology department and my dad was um, director of the accounts payable <laughs> department at IU. He used to be an, he started out as an actuary and then he got tired of commuting to Indianapolis and he wanted to, so he had to switch career paths and got into account, accounting. Did you, did you like growing up in like a college town? Is there a uh, thing? I, I don't think I really knew what that, that that was a thing until I actually got to college. Um, but now I appreciate it more. It, college towns are nice. What's good about them? Uh, I think the concentration of really smart people, the concentration of interesting things to do. There's always concerts and shows and festivals to go to. Um, Bloomington has a really nice international food scene that's uncommon for a small town, Indiana. So there's a, a lot of the a lot of the benefits of a big Big city in a small town. Melting pot, cultural melting pot. You get those like you got some good signalings. What you got? You got that East African food. You got some of that. Uh, you got Asian. You got Thai food. Yeah, all of the above. I, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. I really like the Thai food in, in Bloomington. Siam House is the Siam House hot tip. I like that. Um, and did you? So you got a degree in informatics, bachelor in Indiana, because like I'm sure. Probably you got to go for free since your dad was working there full time or whatever. I wish I got to go for free. Really? They didn't, they didn't pay for that? A lot of these universities. I got a discount. Oh, that's a bummer. That's stupid. Yeah. Did I parents actually... pay for your college education? Oh, no. They, they didn't pay it. Why? They didn't pay a single dollar. Well, you got four kids. They just couldn't it's... afford to pay for all <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's no money to pay for for college tuition when there's four kids and, and, uh, yeah, my mom hadn't. Well, my dad always had a job, but my mom didn't always have a have a job when we were growing up. So, what did she lecture in? Which department? Psychology. Yeah, psychology. Um, does she have a degree in that? Or is she like a psychologist? Yeah, she has a PhD in psychology. She her academic focus was gender studies. Oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah, one one thing she studied that I well that I know that she studied. I'm sure other other things was. Like uh, middle school is, I think, a critical time for for girls when they tend to drift away from like the hard sciences, sciences, uh-huh. engineering, math, those those types of things. So she kind of studied why that happens. I don't know what the results were. You'd have to talk to her. Maybe you can get me a new, like a uh, referral as a another podcast guest. That'd be fun. Um. But was there a thing in your household like, oh, let's education is important, like go get a, you know, go, go you know, go to college, go or even PhD is important or no? Yeah, education is important in my family. It was there wasn't there was never really a discussion about whether or not any of like us would go to college. It was just something, just something that you do. It wasn't really a 
I didn't even think about it. And you could do, you could study whatever. Yeah, yeah. My parents always, so I went, going back even further, uh, they put us in Montessori for preschool and kindergarten. So Montessori is, I don't know if your listeners are familiar, but basically. Tell us. <laughs> kids are given free reign to 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 teach choose their own adventure and and teach themselves what they're interested in lots of, at least at the preschool level lots of like self-directed yeah. learning learning stations all over the classroom kids running around all over the place very little structure and that style of parenting is that style of education is it basically like encompasses how we were parented just you know all parents very supportive parents um to uh you know whatever we wanted to do and even like very little direction on what they think we should do so it's very much like follow your follow your own path that's cool but a feeling of like you know we're there for you we got your back if you need it yeah yeah sure for sure And so you ended up doing informatics. Why? Well, I, I started out in my first semester. I actually didn't go to IU. I went to Miami of Ohio. I was studying mathematics. Is it a beach town? Is it a beach town? Yeah, Miami of Ohio. In Ohio? It's, it's the middle of nowhere, Ohio. I know. <laughs> like pretty close to Cincinnati, right across the Indiana border. It's two and a half, three hours from-, from Just some local nearby school. Yeah, I mean it's a well-regarded school. It's, it's a um, school. it's a, it's a public school, but it's it, they act a lot like a private, private yeah, school. Yeah, it's a smaller, maybe smaller. Yeah, it's fairly small. Town of like three thousand people, I don't know, six or seven thousand students at the time. But anyway, it was, it, it yeah, it wasn't a good fit for me. One thing, it was too expensive. But so over over winter break, I was just kind of like thinking about if I was going to go back to IU, um, what would I, what would I do? Do I still want to do math or, you know, basically just like looking at the webpage, all the different things they had to offer. And I think my mom actually found that they had started a school of informatics like a year or two before. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what that was, but I had always been throughout high school. I was really into computers, like made, made websites, computer programs and any class in high school that had to do with computers and programming. I was, I was into it. So yeah, so I switched, I uh, transferred back to IU and started out at the school of informatics in the, the spring semester. What do you think about cryptocurrency? <laughs> what do I think about <laughs> cryptocurrency? That's right. I found out about Bitcoin as I'm sure a lot of your listeners did when it was, I don't know, single digit, Mm-hmm. dollar amounts per bitcoin i, that would be I a regret, pretty good return at this point i regret that i didn't buy a single bitcoin when i first found out about it uh i think cryptocurrency is like what do you think it's actually something that's going to be a fundamental change in our society is it you know is the pricing a big bubble is it like oh no like it's what is the end game or what would i mean i've been trying to understand it and I have like some understanding of it, but definitely not the math underneath. And I'm sure most people won't be able to understand the math underneath. Uh, you know, decentralized ledger, blockchain. 
is it, are we living in something like the internet not in the 1990s where it just is happening but most people don't understand it until it really becomes a you know a thing we can all interact with or that, that, you know that's one way an optimistic way i like to look at it at least um what do you think about it all well i'm, I'm not a cryptocurrency expert no, <laughs> by any this means. is a, just a person i i think we're in the person. i think there are good use cases for cryptocurrency and blockchain they aren't as blockchain in particular i think the there are fewer realistic use cases that that will go anywhere in the near term future but i think i think cryptocurrency is kind of like the web in the 90s where it's so new that people don't really know that it's it's just so it's just too new right now. That it's going to take cryptocurrency wave two or wave three, like mm. we had Web two point before. I like that. Really, the the widespread use of crypto and blockchain happens. So I don't I don't think Bitcoin. So, so is what the do you bet on now? Solution. Bitcoin is not. You're not a Bitcoin maximalist or whatever they're called. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I think Bitcoin now is a little bit like buying collectibles, like tulips or Beanie Babies or something. Oh man, the tulip market <laughs> is just a great example of this rush. Um, you got to exit the you got to exit at the right point, then you're still golden, really. But um, interesting. But it's like any kind of currency; it it depends on people's faith in it. But what is what is it? What is any currency is like backed by the labor that you can exchange it for, the goods and services that you can exchange that currency for. Exactly. So if Bitcoin is very useful, if you can buy what you want to buy with it. But I think mostly people right now are just trying to t turn Bitcoin into more more dollars. They're speculating for sure. Yeah. So uh, it's not really operate. It's not. It doesn't really act as a currency. It's an asset class in some way, shape, or form. Uh, there's this this one that I just came across a recommendation from a Dan Minsky, though that's not relevant. Um, called Chia, where it's the guy who created BitTorrent, Bram Cohen. He's developing this new pr protocol, Chia Network, and instead of using up like cycles to do like work uh, proof of work or whatever. It's going to do proof of space and use up like storage space on your computer, which in his mind is like that we are over provisioned. We have a lot more extra storage hmm. and it's like, so we can just use that instead of using uh, CPU cycles, which basically, you know, is turns it to energy, which is not green. So this, is, this will be more green. They're still testing it, but it looks, uh, it got my attention a little bit. I was going to install it, try to. Hmm. Interesting. Sometimes. Hadn't heard of that. Yes. And that's, and that's the thing is I want to hear about things I haven't heard of and get it now versus like chase, chase, whatever is happening in cryptocurrency right now. So if you're, I, th I think if you're, if you were in a long time ago, then you can just keep holding forever or hold until you're comfortable selling, maybe sell half. And then if you're not in now with Bitcoin this weekend, topping 60 K of Bitcoin, I'm not sure. I don't know. It, it just seems kind of a little folly to just get in there now with your life savings. 
as a speculative purchase, I I think yeah, I I wouldn't. I'm not gonna buy Bitcoin now. Great. I'll just continue to regret I didn't buy it five years. Exactly, ago. and that's okay too. You don't have to <laughs> ride every wave. Like as long as you, you know. When it, so on the topic of kind of, I know you're you're pretty good at. I know we shifted away from informatics but for a second, but I think this is interesting. Like I know you're pretty into the uh, financial independence kind of uh, living a, a lifestyle and uh, thinking about um, financial things and like personal finance. That's the words I'm looking for, personal finance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah what's your what is your approach is can you do you have a simple approach do you have like uh let's let's get a lot of nfts like whatever is the hottest new thing let's buy that up or you know do you have any for people that don't understand personal finance or are just haven't been able to got you know haven't been able to learn about it or haven't had the space the time to take care of it if you're just starting out what, you know, what's your approach to it? Yeah, I think, well, I think financial independence and personal finance are two slightly different things, but. What's personal? Okay. Tell us your personal finance approach. <laughs> personal finance. I would recommend. People read some website. Well, like research different approaches to personal finance. Um. Hmm. I, I like when I was when when I was first starting to earn a salary, I started out with I think this guy named Ramit Sethi. I will teach you to be rich was his book. Okay. And that was that was a good way to start. It well, was basically all about automating and taking the decision making out of your finances as much as possible. And I, th- I think that's a good place for anyone to start. But that, oh, go, go ahead. Is that also is that about investment or also spending? It was mostly about spending. How do you do that? How do you automate your spending? Well, it was like simple stuff, like automate bill, automate your bill pays, um, automate your splitting up your paycheck into your savings versus. Got you're it. investing versus your your fun fun money kind of thing. Yeah. Very very simple stuff, but it's I think that that's that can be a good place to start. Basically, you're kind of creating a budget, and you're sticking to that budget in a way. If you if you automate that splitting of stuff and automating the stuff, it makes sense to me. Yeah, just re- reduce the, the amount of decisions you have to make about about money. It'd be very fatiguing to make a lot of decisions. But then another thing he, um, that I learned from that was that it's okay to spend money on things that are important to you as an individual. I mean, it's not it's not productive to try to spend as little as possible at all costs. In the long run, that's hard, very hard to do. How do you judge what's important to you? What's important? What do you like spending money on? I have way more computers than I really would need. I like spending money on technology. Mm -hmm. I like spending money on sports and fitness, travel. 
um, I, some kinds of entertainment. I don't, I don't really value like really fancy food. Like fine dining is not super important to me. So I don't spend a lot of money on, on that kind of thing. But you like food. I do like food. Who doesn't like food? Food is great. <laughs> yeah. It's Pi Day. Oh, happy Pi Day. I think, you know. I've happy Pi Day. All day for this podcast. This is the first one we're back for in a while. But like, happy Pi Day. I almost bought a pie, but I just feel like it's really would be bad for my diet. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, even if I could give away a couple of pieces, I would still be left with a lot of pie that would be in my fridge and I would just eat it. There's got to be a pie shop around that just sells slice one slice. Yeah, I can get that's what I'm, that might be something I do later today is get a pie slice. You know, buying a, a single pie, a single piece of pie, in my head is not a good financial decision because you can buy a whole pie for <laughs> a lot cheaper. You know, a lot cheaper per slice. But if you think about the overall cost to your to your health and to my diabetes bill yes the idea that just spending less money to get the utility that you want buying one slice of pie is probably a good personal finance decision do you like to pick stocks for retirement or do you just like do index funds pretty much all index funds what do you like the total total market i don't even really like go into it in that level of detail. Like in my uh, my four hundred one k, I just kind of went for an index fund that was the low, lowest possible cost. I think reducing costs of investments in the long run is probably more productive than trying to pick the exact right um, mix of things to mm. buy. Just like low management fees on the funds, kind of. Yeah, that's that's what I generally try to optimize. Which for. I think is smart. And then just keep stuffing that pre-tax money or whatever until you're done. Sure. It is, might not be the most flashy, but it is, I think, probably the best way. I wish I, I started doing that when I was like, with my first job out of college or whatever. I, don't I, could, I, I did put some money into that 401k that I... Um, Took it out, paid the penalty because I was doing my startup days. I needed, I had no cash, so I had to do it. But um, I wish I was. I wish I left it in there. A figure out a different way to live off money. Maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but also wish I would, I would always like at least put in the max of the tax advantage thing every year, and I was just doing the max to the match. And I could have altered my lifestyle instead of going out and take, getting take out of New York City all the time, which is expensive. I could have altered my lifestyle to, I think, put more money in the 401k. And so I, that's a lesson I did. I learned, you know, I'm still barely learning it. I don't, I'm not sure I even took full advantage of last year. So, but this year I'm, I'm determined to follow the right path and take advantage of all my tax advantage accounts. IRA, the 401k, whatever. And, I, you know, and I'm very grateful and lucky that I have a position to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think in the long run, time in the market, minimizing expenses, trusting in the market on average to, to do well in the long run is, is all you really need to do. I can bet on the United States. What are you going to do when you retire? 
Uh, good question. I don't know. It depends on when I retire. I hope I'll be healthy enough to do some long distance trips, like bicycle trips or hiking, things like that. Tell me about like long distance bicycling. What's that like? Well, I don't do as much long distance bicycling now as I used to. I'd like to get back into it someday. But when, when I was in high school and college, uh, yeah, bike, bicycling was my sport. And yeah, so I used to do um, trips like a, every like summer. A tour de France? Well, I've never, I've raced a little bit in the past, but I'm not, I'm not especially fast. More like touring. <laughs> Got it. See, just like seeing chill. things, going from one place to another. Using the bicycle. Do, yeah. Two or three weeks at a time is the, is the long, longest trips that I've ever done. You would like have a backpack with all your stuff as you're biking? Well, mo most of the trips that I've done were organized. Like, uh, you would have group. a car follow you? Well, you, you can do it that way, but it was more like a, like an organized group, like 50, 60 people with kind of like youth group stuff, ride, ride from one place to the next. And we didn't have to carry anything. So that was who carried all the stuff. Like a moving truck with, okay, with shelves built into it. Yeah. So there was a car that had your stuff while, and did you got, do you guys camp? Would you stay in like hotels? Yeah, so the program is called DeCycles Indiana, based in Bloomington. Norm Hoos and Cricket Hoos have been running the program for Shout a long time. Yeah, the Hooses are a great family. And yeah, they do a lot for the community. So it was, it was but it's, it's, as I said, youth group, like church-based church youth development program. So we would stay at churches along the way, awesome. which minimized the cost. And a lot and and it, you know got kids exposed to different communities i see that's pretty cool how many hours a day would you bike usually averaged 80 or 90 miles so that would take with breaks that would take seven eight nine hours i saw a tweet recently from like navajo i like spend all your time learning earning, exercising, and relaxing. And I, I think the bike is cool because you're kind of learning about new places and you're exercising. I've been doing a lot of walks. That's kind of why I mean, you can listen to podcasts these days. But yeah, I think it just feels like you have to move the body a little bit every day. So the biking yeah. is kind of fun. To do Super that. important to move the body. I enjoy, Yeah, I enjoy biking. I, uh, Nowadays, I just do half an hour, hour-long indoor rides or ride down to the state park that's, that's near us. It's been a while since I've been in good enough shape to, to do a really long ride. Is it, you have to be in good shape to do that? Yeah, yeah. Like a 100-mile ride at the Century is kind of the cycling equivalent of a marathon. Oh, I Although I've ran, I ran a marathon a few years ago, and that... That was much harder than riding a hundred miles. Yeah. So you want to, you got to train for at least a couple months to do a hundred mile bike ride and be relatively comfortable doing it. Well, and also if you're doing 80, 90 miles a day, that's, that's a lot for two couple of weeks. Yeah. Adding, at doing long distance trips 
you definitely want to train for it. But also you get, you get, you train yourself into it. Like the third day of a three week trip is the hardest. And then it gets easier after that usually. Interesting. Shout out bicycling. Do you have any, uh, what's your favorite bicycle brand? Do you have one? Um, I don't, I don't have a, all, I don't think I have a, any particular favorite. I have been looking at salsa bicycles lately because they have some interesting adventure gravel bikes for bike packing and touring. But I, ha I have four bikes in the garage, so I don't need another bike <laughs> right now. Seems reasonable. What do you think makes, so you're in the consulting game, have been in the consulting game and successful at it for the past how many years? I, a lot of time a topic comes up, oh, like from just regular folks, like, oh, I'm, I'm working in this job. How do, how do I become a consultant? I mean, in the healthcare IT world, that's obviously very prevalent. Uh, a lot of healthcare organizations have full-time staff. They also have staff augmentation consultants that come in. What do you think makes a good consultant? Or, con you know, someone that's a butt in the seat, but it's not just a butt, it's a very good butt. <laughs> Good question, Pavel. I don't. You don't know. I, uh, I I'm not prepared for all these excellent questions that you have. <laughs> uh, well, my ego likes that you think my questions are excellent, so that's halfway there. So, if I you mean, want to be a consultant, an huh? Yeah, if you want to be a consultant, yeah. I uh, I think the I think the most important quality of a consultant is just the unwillingness to be stopped by not knowing things or not having a solution in advance. I'm always, when we're hiring for, to our team, um, it's all, I'm always looking for people who have demonstrated the ability to figure things out, solve problems that they didn't know how to solve, or maybe even no one knew how to solve before. I think that's the number one thing to cultivate that curiosity and, uh, yeah, like how you say, to... yeah, you said willingness, which is different than ability, but I think that it goes hand in hand because like, I think a lot of people have the ability to do it, but they're somehow mentally blocked. And this that willingness to be like, okay, no one's done this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to just keep trying to figure it out until I do figure it out. And not, like you said, the willingness to not stop. I like that. Or the willingness to stop, whichever way you said that. Yeah. It's, I, I think getting into consulting is, is a bet on yourself and it's very much an entrepreneurial kind of founder mentality. Right. You're not necessarily creating, starting up a new company, although you could be if you're doing 1099 work, but you're, you're betting on yourself to be able to, to look at problems that you've never seen before that other people have decided are too challenging for them to to know how to solve and and that you're willing to take on bet on yourself to being able to you know figure figure things out um and, and then you get paid for it yeah i think sometimes you just you know it's like that there's memes about this all the time it's like oh looking for 10 years of um a, you know aws experience aws has only existed for like two years you know like stupid stuff like that where there's always like 
uh, I'm not saying you should be, so a lot of time people are trying to recruit someone that already has solved this very particular problem and they can be like, oh, because that gives them trust in the situation. Like, okay, they know they already faced the same challenge before. And I think as a consultant, you know, to become like a top tier, you have to be able to say, I think be open, like, I'm not that's what you were saying, like, okay, I know you're looking for this one guy or gal that can do these four or five things together, but I haven't done them, but I've done X, Y, and Z, and I think I can figure it out from there. And like having the confidence in your skill set and in your communication to do that. But I think if you're trying to, and a lot of times people are trying to say, okay, how do I become a consultant right away? I think it again boils down to what you said. It's a bet on yourself. It's a bet that you can go into an organization, create value, and build a reputation that continues to do that and i think um i mean a great way to to start is by being an organization already and just generating value at a company that you're already at building your you know aws azure whatever skill set whatever certification obviously epic is like what we're a lot of we're familiar with a lot of my guests my audience because that's the business we were in but i think it extends to really I think it's a good, good idea for anybody, like get in, just figure it out, learn the stuff in your organization. You learn, learn the Salesforce so that you can then become a Salesforce consultant. So I think there is advice there for people that really want that. And I, but uh, another thing I hear a lot, which I think we, we, you can lend some expertise on is people want to not become consultants, but they want to get into data analytics. And so data analytics probably came natural to you because you had an informatics degree. You went to work at Epic and was it in the Clarity team, which is like their database team? Yep, I was on the Clarity team. And it was, it was really only because I had a class where I learned what a SQL database was. <laughs> I know, right? It's hilarious. Today it's... The uh, today I think here's my I was gonna write an article and I'm gonna tell you what I'm curious what you think. I was gonna say whatever if you want to get into data analytics, a couple of things. A that's a really smart move because there's just a an never ending demand and levels of certification for the desire for us to use data to you know during this pandemic all you heard is data data data, and everybody wants to do that, and so. I think if you're a professional in the business side and IT side, whatever side, but you don't know what data is and you're afraid of it, just learn SQL. And then using your whatever else experience you have, you add the SQL piece and now you can become, you can have a career in quote unquote data. This is my like practical advice for people that want to get into the analytics field. SQL I think that's easy. great advice. Great advice. I would add learn SQL and learn how to model data. Learn how to make an entity relationship diagram. Yes. That's a, yeah, so basically we're talking about you know data c comes in tables usually 
a table is like a spreadsheet that you can imagine if you're never familiar with like how data works, you know, and you can kind of link these spreadsheets together to really get the full picture. So you have all your orders in one spreadsheet, you have all your customers in another spreadsheet, you have all your products in another spreadsheet, you can link it together. So that relationship linking is what you're describing. And if you understand how that works and you understand how SQL works, you know, you become quite dangerous in being able to start to solve questions with data. And then you build Power BI, Tableau, whatever tool and thing you can want to build on top. I, mean, I think always Excel is a great way to start with some pivot tables. Long live the pivot table. Yeah, I think the difference between someone who is an analytics like expert and someone who is just using data to answer questions is how fast you can do it and how anyone can answer the same kinds of questions that you could answer with a SQL query with fumbling through and right. co uh, collecting data and, and wrangling data in Excel. Like you can up to a certain amount of data, you can, you can literally do it both ways. But if you're doing it the analytics way with SQL, correctly modeled data, your, what you can do scales infinitely bigger and you can work a lot faster than, yeah. than someone who's trying to do it all manually in Excel. But the real, the real, the key is you got to be able to answer, ask good questions, help other people ask good questions and figure out what data you need to answer those questions. Hmm. That's, that's the secret sauce to analytics the business of analytics, I think. It's not really that complicated. The, the, the smartest things are never that complicated. So it is to ask the right questions, help people ask the right questions, figure out what data you need to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. I think that's it. I mean, I, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think I'm going to keep that in mind as I embark on my next contract as a high-end data warehousing consultant. I really, do you, at what point do you think our jobs can go away? And what I mean by that is like, why can't someone just ask the AI to do it? Everything, link the data, clean it, and then, and then tell me exactly what the answer is to my, to my business question of, how many widgets do I need in this location based on everything that, that I know about this widget, which is, let's say it's an MRI machine to, to keep it in healthcare, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the tools are getting better. You, you can do a lot. 20 there, years? There are fewer and fewer, very, slowly but surely, there are fewer need fewer requirements, fewer needs to, to write custom SQL code from scratch. There are tools that can make that a lot easier, a lot faster, and, and to some extent, remove the programmer altogether. But you know, what we're trying to, what we, you and I do is like, I think we stay at the, the leading edge of what is possible with technology. Wow. And if we ever aren't needed anymore, it will be because we have 
general AI and no one needs to do anything anymore. Well, yeah, totally. I'm, exactly. Like, I'm not worried about either of us having a job if we want one. But, I mean, proposal writing, let, let's, see an, let's see an AI do that. Let's see an, an AI deal with a proposal out of scratch. You know what I mean? But I actually maybe probably can with that, whatever the newest thing was that was like writing text like a human. But, yeah, I don't know, this idea that I, I just feel like there's a lot of things that are rudimentary that are being done. And not just across, I think, any business, healthcare included, and like still hasn't been a big breakthrough in having the computer really handle it. And um, I think I thought that something like a Google partnership with whoever they partner with, and um, like Haven Health or Amazon or Microsoft, these, and now um, I saw, you know. Providence started this, this thing, which is a huge conglomerate, like a collective of data. Forgot what True it's Veta. Yep. True Veta, which is, you know, basically their mission is, oh, we want to make things better and solve all questions with data. And I think it's a good approach. They're going to try to get data from all these institutions and actually try to, I think, model it out for the machine learning stuff to work on it, um, which I think has been a huge challenge. And let's see if these guys can do it because they got some tech talent behind them. But um, yeah, I just thought like it's got it just or maybe Epic themselves can do it or maybe one of these other HR companies. This next level push. And what am I predicting it? I don't know. To me, it feels like it's uh, everybody keeps trying to bite the healthcare apple, but they're not, they haven't been able to really, even these big guys haven't been able to really do anything yet that is, in my mind, material, like materially solves the problem. So there's still opportunity for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, healthcare data collection isn't designed for enabling research by default. It's designed for keeping track of individual people and their individual health and and billing for services. And those are different, those are different from collecting data to, to perform research and to create, generate insights on how to, how to care for, for different conditions and how to prevent adverse events from happening. I also think it would be cool when we get like just a stream of data for a human being like we'll get all their full genome sequence, we'll get like their heart rate, their blood pressure all the time, right? I mean, I think that will be an interesting thing as well. There's gonna be a lot of money put into trying to keep us healthy and living for a long time, because like, obviously, I think. So yeah, no shortage of jobs. Hmm. Yeah, I think, think the important thing is just to stay on the edge of to stay familiar with what the technology is capable of and how to use whatever exists to its fullest extent and to keep pushing to make sure that you're always involved in, in the leading edge of technology. You know, that, and if, if that's what, if you want to solve the most interesting problems, you got to be on the leading edge of what technology can do. Sure. I mean, I, I agree with that statement. I also feel like I'm nowhere near the leading edge because I don't, I guess it's a level, like I don't need to understand TensorFlow and Python to be able to use 
that thing, you know, call the code, import TensorFlow, you know, put it in, which I might be able to do versus like actually designing it and understanding that the core mechanics myself, I probably can't. Um, I have another question about genetics. I'm curious. Well, I don't know anything about genetics. <laughs> what do I know about genetics? I Let's just try did. it. Let's try it. So it's, it's like ATCG over and over again. And it's like billions of letters. Um, I think if you, if you uncompress it, it goes to like the sun or something. Your, your code, you write it down and uncompress it. All good. It feels like right now to become like a real bioinformatics engineer, which are the people that are using like computers and you know, SQL and Python and data science to, to look at these ATCG patterns to be able to like identify diseases, solve diseases, etc. You need like a PhD in bioinformatics. I have a feeling that, I mean, there's a super high demand for those professionals right now. I have a feeling that we're going to be able to transition to less than a PhD doing valuable work in this space. I think it will potentially can coincide with um, more and more academic medical sensors getting sequencing installed and, and you know, sequencing people in mass. I mean, you know, what do you think? Should we all become bioinformatics engineers? Can I become a bioinformatics engineer without getting a PhD in biology? I know you're not, I know you don't have any expertise to answer this question, but go ahead and try. Well, I, I have spent a lot of time around physiologists right. and the, the skill set or the, the interest of the human body and how the human body functions and how various biological processes function is often a very different mindset and very different way someone's brain works from the ability to wrangle large amounts of data and, and make large amounts of data usable by computers. Interesting. So, yes, I think, and where I have often operated in my career is the intersection of the people who really, really care about the technology and the programming and, and building software that can do things for that sake and the people who are not technically savvy and are really just have the expertise in that biological concept or financial concept or whatever it is right. and in the middle there is is where i have operated Same. and i think that that all of those types of people as a continuum the continuum will always there will always be a space there so i think in bioinformatical engineering there's probably i bet if you actually got tried to get one of those jobs you would be able to wow them with your technical analytics expertise and then the biology expertise would be less less important yeah that's kind of my theory and it'll be interesting and i think like kind of what you said is it 
you need the people over here, the hardcore programmers, building tools that people in the middle can rely on to do something valuable for the people that are so far removed but really understand the business or biological concept, right? Um, and I and right now these guys are in the middle, guys. These high-end programmers have to sit in the middle because I think maybe the tool set is not as developed or just it's not there quite yet. I don't know if that was truly happening in any like in other industries like what I imagine like let's say healthcare hospitals. They at some point they had some sort of old database system and probably there was some kind of you know small I higher end programmer IT team. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, you know I think here in the biology you know I have a couple of bioinformatics friends and they're just telling me like you know biology can be very very complex, but. I think, you know, thinking about what's coming next, um, I'm, I think there's going to be a big biotech push. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about bioinformatics. I, you, you can learn anything on YouTube, so I turned that on, but, um, you know, I don't know if I, two hours of YouTube make me a professional. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hardly know anything about bioinformatics. It's interesting. I would imagine, I mean, are there commercial tools for, for dealing with, it's like large open source academic data. stuff, I think. I think mostly open source academic stuff, plus the actual company like Illumina, which makes the sequencers, they'll, they'll put out software as well. Yeah, if, they, like the, if there's a, a SQL server for genomics, there might be. I don't know about it. I don't but know. I think if Pavel or Jacob wants to get into bioinformatics, it would be to learn everything there is to know about the equivalent of SQL server for genomics i like that idea actually i'm gonna put it to google after we're done is there a sql server for genomics i mean i'm not even kidding i think that's cool um okay do i get to ask you questions or is just you asking me questions and then yeah you can ask me questions i don't know if i have any questions <laughs> but... You can, but now you don't have the ability to do it well, here's it. Here's no. Here, I want to let. I'm going to like rewind like ten Please. minutes. Sure. So you you mentioned to the audience that we kind of built this team of analytics consultants over over a few years. Yeah, Tegria Blue Tree. Love. Yeah, it. and I'm Blue Tree, a Tegria company. So my question for you is. Yeah. When when you were doing that, like what what was your approach what were for people trying to build remote teams that are really great in the analytics space how do you do that yeah and i think it doesn't have to be in the analytics space i think just if you're trying to build a remote team period is where i would have advice um you know i was taught management under the tutelage of the great wayne Achterberg. may he be the great Wayne that he is and he learned how to manage people out of an olive garden in uh, somewhere in Wisconsin. So this is where, this is the, you know, it's when you're like a Zen Buddhist, you got to tell people like where you learn your Zen from. So that's my, you know, that was my thing. But I think what worked, what Wayne did right, what I did right, was um, you wanted to just basically hire good people and then support them and give them as much autonomy as possible and kind of train them to be 
you know, in your image to some extent. Um, you know, and make a lot of the time we would hire people actually from healthcare organizations who were not consultants at the time. And I found that for those folks, it was a it could be a hard transition because they were it's like it's it's psychology it's all these consultants they come in they have a consultant badge they must be experts i'm not an expert i'm just a person working in a healthcare organization so you just had to take them and give them some um reassurance and i felt like just uh some people just knew they were good so you just let them loose and you just gotta give them that like yes, you can do it. Just just figure it out. And uh, here are some team members you can rely on. And I kind of use that approach on everybody. The thing is, it's not magical. Not everybody can actually do it. And so what happens then? I think, especially in a remote setting, where you, in a remote setting, I always feel like you. It, it might be a little longer to tell because you're not there all the time. If the person is good or not, if they're determining value, but eventually you could tell. And they can't really hide it. And so, especially in a remote setting, you have to give people, I think, that autonomy because, I mean, first of all, I think if you want someone to be good, if they're good, if you want them to grow, you got to give them that autonomy. Like, there's never like, oh, you have to be online at eight, you have to be offline at five. It's like, figure it out with your client, make sure you're doing good stuff. You know what's good. That's why you got hired. Sometimes you make bad hiring decisions and then you'd have to, you know, deal with it by. <clears throat> developing a performance improvement plan and if the person wasn't improving enough then they got fired i think that's okay um i so yeah i think it be, i think it comes to the point of trust i think i led with the idea of i mean a lot of transparency like sharing all the numbers of what we're doing how we're doing it how is our business going what are our sales you know and then a little bit of a vision which is like oh I think cloud is huge. I think data warehousing is huge. We want to be a data engineering shop. So, hey, you think you're just a report developer, but actually you're a data engineer because if you're developing this report, you're really developing a whole new way of looking at this data. It's a data pipeline. It's like different words for different things, but for the same stuff. So I think that was that was part of it. And then, you know, growing pains, just like doing throwing people into uncomfortable situations, being there for them. I think the way your parents were there, like they, how you described it growing up, like, oh, just figure it out, like do what you want to do. And that tends to, to work, I think, well. Um, and I think the transparency piece is very important because we're remote. You know, having happy hours is nice. Getting, getting together with people is nice. Um, I think having us, you know, keeping your ego in control is good. Um, those are those are some of my tips. I do I do like building teams. I think it is a fascinating exercise, and you know something Wayne taught me was like, what you enjoy kind of seeing someone taking a challenge on and then overcoming it and, and getting better. Yeah. Um, so that kind of uh, so that was pretty cool. How do you separate? How do you separate like work and personal life? Like, do you, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, have a lot of identity wrapped up into like the, the work we do, which is like, I just took a two month break basically and I wasn't working and I you know who am I, what am I up to? Like, it's funny how a job can really fill that identity for you. I have a, 
have a friend who has been not a you know high end super smart guy, well, you know, had a job at a big financial institution. Now he's kind of doing his own thing or trying to figure it out and ha- having some issues like with that identity of like, oh, I'm no longer, you know, a Deutsche Bank banker. Hmm. How, how do you think about that? How do you separate in your mind like your I'm a you know, title, I am not a title? Like, do you do you ever think about that? I don't think a whole lot about that, honestly. That's because you're just completely trying to grind to get through the job and thinking about how do I make my numbers. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I I didn't. That, that's not where I thought you were going with the question. I I was I was prepared to respond like. You know, I have a physical space in my house. Okay, where, I mean, I think that's part happens. of it. Yeah, and it, it's it's right behind me. It's right over there. And yeah, so it's it's just you know when I go to when I go to work every morning, I'm focused on getting that job done. And when it when it's over, I try to switch it off as much as I can. But it's still is, hard. I'm sure it's hard. It's hard. Like the brain's always going. Yeah, what I don't about, know. What about imagine that you know, boom, you discover that somehow by accident you managed to buy two hundred bitcoins. You didn't even realize it. You were sleepwalking, and now like you're like, oh shit, now I'm rich now. I don't have to work anymore, and you you know you retire your from your role. Yeah, I mean, I think you probably do other things to make you happy and maybe that'd be part of your identity. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think a job is a big part of our identity? Do you think, like, do you think Rachel like thinks of herself as a teacher a lot or it's interesting? I don't know. It's what is identity anyway? Cause there is no I. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's been a long time since I've had the opportunity to need to, to reflect like that, to reflect like that. Yeah. You gotta get your sabbatical. I would love to have a sabbatical. I've I've never had a problem filling my time my time when I'm not working with things that I want to do. Grad school is awesome. I went did so so many bike rides in grad school. Um, yeah, got grad to coach school. got to coach a cycling team for a few years. That's cool. So I I would probably. I think I think my my identity is cycling. I mean, not cycling, but like less healthcare and more team team builder coach who can get in the weeds and work alongside he's anyone. a he's a he's a player coach everybody heard it here first player coach he's a player coach i like that, that that's that's more of my identity so i would yeah so i would just find find different a different way to you know work do that other things with that kind of role i like that i like that idea of mad genius because that just feels like it lets me get away with things you know, <laughs> no one's gonna hope the mad genius he's mad he's mad i tell you <laughs> are, you vac- are you vaccinated are you ready to party no not yet are you, are you soon to- in line? No, uh, in Colorado they're supposed to. But you're a healthcare everyone... worker. Well, I'm not in Colorado. It's are you a healthcare worker who sees 
patients. What if you could be exposed to seeing patients? Trying to follow the rules best as best I can. But I hope to I hope to have a vaccine by May. I think that's realistic, given you know what's going on with vaccine production and. Oh yeah, we're like, we're rocking it. I think yeah. we're doing well. I think we're going to be out of this thing hopefully in time to make sure. And then we got to send all those vaccines over to Brazil so they can, because I hear they're producing a lot of new variants or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. just I don't because know. It's, just because it's not. I mean, that's what I read. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, everyone and everyone needs to get vaccinated. Just sure. vaccinate, please. Get the vaccine. We want this pandemic to be over. We want to travel. Um, we'll take a trip to Europe later in the year, towards the end of the year. Hopefully that goes through. That'd be sweet. Yeah. We're doing a little trip next year or ne- next week to, to for spring break to um, to see the uh, Black Canyon of the Gunnison near Montrose, Colorado, and then over to see the Great Sand Dunes National Park. What's the first thing? It's, uh, it's a national park. It's a relatively unknown national park where they've got these like almost sheer canyons wow. in the mountains the the western part of Colorado you can you can drive all the way down to the bottom I think we'll see how the weather is but there's a road all the way down to the bottom very cool so I'm hoping that they have some vaccines in those remote <laughs> remote parts of Colorado. Oh, you just show week, up, show up, and like, hey, find an appointment. I like the idea. Top park recommendations for people that haven't been to national parks. Well, and from in Colorado, which is where I'm most familiar with national parks, um, Rocky Mountain National Park is. You've got to go if you've never been there. There's a reason it's so popular. It's, it's just beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah. Never been there. Yeah. I like I like Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. You like caves? Is it because the mammoth's remains were found there? Or is it just really big? It's a big cave. Just because oh, okay. it's big. It's mammoth. Nice. Uh I've been to Arches in Moab. Arches is Canyonlands is good. Arches is nice. You're a big canyon cave guy. I like caves and canyons. Yeah. It's kind of cool to explore that. I, I've never been to Carlsbad. I'd like to go to Carlsbad someday. We have caves in Carlsbad? I've heard that. Carlsbad Caverns Where in New they? Mexico. Oh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Carlsbad, California. No, uh, southeastern New Mexico. So this uh, is cool. You could be biking around all these places as part of your retirement lifestyle. Or whatever. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the national parks that I've seen were on bike trips. Went to Glacier, Redwoods National Park, Rocky Mountain. I don't think Rocky Mountain was on a bike trip. Yellowstone? Yeah, uh, Yellowstone, Yosemite, <coughs> saw those on bike trips. Um, Death Valley National Park, saw that on a bike trip. It's a good place. It's a good way to see the country. You just have to dress appropriately, I guess. Yeah. Any cool YouTube recommendations? Um, I don't know if I watch uh, tech channels on YouTube, bicycling channels on YouTube. I don't know. I don't know if there's interesting. That's the power of YouTube. You can just get whatever. You, yeah. Like when you say tech channels, like people are putting up like gadgets or 
build the computers? What are they doing? Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Mostly consumer electronics consumer. kind of things. Interesting. Yeah, I guess there's a lot out there. I like to keep up to date. Keeps me from wanting to buy everything. It keeps if you I from. At least you can see that. Uh, <laughs> um, this this podcast. And it's a beautiful, traditional, all over the place podcast has a recurring segment called Hot Tips. I don't know if you ever listened to any of the episodes. I have listened to Pavelcast. Nice. We love, subscribe, please. Subscribe. Five stars. Um, hot Tips. It's time for Hot Tips. <laughs> um, this is where our guests can give any tip they want that they consider to be, you know, at least warm, if not hot. Um, and they know you were just giving recommendations for things, but it could be anything. It could be a hmm. book, a food, a, a mantra, a Twitter follow, a cryptocurrency, a TV show, a, a coffee, you know, whatever, whatever you want. It could be multiple if you have like little, little ones. Anything you come across in the past few weeks, months, where you're like, oh, that's cool. We were talking about personal finance earlier, very yes. early on in the show. And I, I didn't mention this, but the, tool that I use now is called you need a budget okay I've heard of that highly recommend it it costs money though right but it's the worth it costs $85 a year but it's completely tell, worth tell it tell us more about it look why what, what is it what do you do with it is it on the phone it's a it's a web app and they have phone apps and it's it's a personal finance budgeting app but the the difference mentality between you need a budget and like mint or a lot of other budgeting apps is the idea that you you assign a purpose for every dollar that you have and you don't assume that you will have money coming in the future so it's like if you don't have a dollar now you can't you can't afford it so it, it very much requires you to have a mind to create this mindset and this plan of how am I going to have money in advance of wanting to buy things or needing to pay for things rather than floating your lifestyle with credit cards or based on paychecks that you'll have or may not have in the future. But so, if I don't have any paychecks coming up and I don't have any money, but I need stuff, how do I budget for that? Emergency fund. I see build up an emergency fund. Yeah, Come so on. you need a budget. If, if your audience is, is, is one to improve their personal finances, learn how to it's use it. It's worth the like $85. Yeah, which is, yeah. Which means if you tell me it's worth it, I believe you. I wish it cost less, obviously, but <laughs> yes, it's worth, it's worth the money. Our, our uh, like you can, you can see your net worth. Like ours, flat, and then we start using you need a budget. Really? Yeah, my network was has fluctuated depending on the stock market in the past few weeks. It's kind of painful to watch, but at least I have net worth. That's good. That's good. That's a good hot tip. And uh, let's bring this goodie oldie back. It's the Elon Musk teleportation transportation phenomenon. So I have this uh, machine here. So right now it's set up to transfer us to Lansing, but I, I can switch that around. And uh, it's a 
my good friend Elon Musk lets me use it once in a while. Basically, we can, using our uh, minds, teleport into any place you've been to before and really experience it. So you just name the place and uh, I'm going to plug it in and then we can go there. We've been talking about bicycling a lot in this podcast. That's great. So, but one thing I haven't mentioned is the little 500 bike race that happens at Indiana University every year. Okay. So I would say let's teleport. Let's teleport there to um, little 500 bike race. Oh, wow. Look at all these 500 bicycles. <laughs> no, no. Tell me, like, what am I looking at here? Where are they biking? Well, it's the world's greatest college weekend, Pavel. What? That sounds yeah. fun. It got canceled last year, and it's getting moved back this year. But, you know, go back a few years ago, and it's this, it's this race that was modeled off of the Indianapolis 500 car race, which is 500 miles. And that's a like a just a cycle race, right? It's not like a the, the Indianapolis 500 is a car race. But Little is 500 a, is, is it a bike circle? Race. Yeah, it's on a cinder track. Uh, <laughs> it's a cinder track around the soccer field uh, okay. on IU's campus, where where the soccer team plays. What's so a, what's cinder? Cinder is like ground up rocks. Okay, they're black. So it's like a, it can be dusty or it can be hard packed if it's a little bit damp. And there's two races. There's the men's race and the women's race. Mm. 33 teams in each race. There's four people on each team. And each team rides the exact same bicycle. Single speed. Whoa. Coaster brake. No shifting. What's a coaster brake? Coaster brake is like when you were a kid and, and you pedaled backwards to stop the bike. Okay. That's how the bikes work. There's no There's no brakes. There's no handbrakes. So, and there's there's two bikes per team, but one each team has one person out on the track at a time. So, you're the the race is going really fast. Riders will do 8, 10, maybe 15 lap sets. And um the men race for 50 miles, 200 laps, and the women race for 25 miles, 100 laps. And the, the way that the, the bike gets exchanged from one rider to another is very interesting. You, you come in toward your pit, slam on the brakes, swing your leg around, slide the bike board, and then the rider on your team is taking the bike from you, runs alongside it, grabs it by the handlebars, jumps on, gets up to speed as fast as possible wow. to get back in the pack. That's cool. There's, n- there's no event like it anywhere else. It's tremendously entertaining except for the middle part of the men's race is usually pretty boring <laughs> uh why is it called the greatest college weekend just because all the co- is it a college sport it's all college college under undergrads doing doing the racing but it's the greatest college weekend because it's you know the college parties the parties happen oh it's the it's parties a- are happening but the part that i was most interested in is the bike racing Obviously, yeah. both. so you have thousands of thousands of fans there sometimes. That's cool. Cheering you on, it's really fun. Have you actually? Did you do it? I did race in it once, my oh, wow. senior year of college. 
we put together a team, um, you know, mostly just to have fun and to participate. But you had to do that switch of the bike. Yeah, yeah, you have to qualify for the race. So we did, we did train pretty hard for it, and and qualified for the race. We were one of the thirty-three teams. Yeah, and then we. It's beautiful. I mean, I could see everybody loud and the bikes going and the dust and like woof. And uh, wh who's typically the top two, top top winners? Is there like a really strong? Is there like a Duke basketball? Yeah, on the men's side, the cutters are the typically the near the top, and then some from? of the fraternity teams. Well, the cutters cutters started out as um, as an independent team that would like I think a fraternity or something got kicked off a of campus, and their <laughs> their riders wanted to start a team, and they called it the they called it cutters. Uh, I think it was like a reference to. Well, it's obviously it's a reference to what to limestone, the limestone industry. I see. Local. It's actually not a very nice name for local Bloomington people, but you call local people from Bloomington cutters because they come from a long line of people who cut limestone for a living. Gotcha. But now well, so, it's kind of like a term of endearment, doesn't? Okay, we'll just call you like a little cutty, but like. Do they? So these are all teams from the Indiana area, from Bloomington, or no? It's well, they're all college. They're all students at IU, but a lot. I use a diverse place. A lot of people are huge. From uh, people are from everywhere, but uh, it's not uh, like a collegiate sport event. I was confused for a second. It's an intramural event, right? Yeah, yeah. it's not like an official NCAA. No. It's more of a let's bike and party sesh, but it's cool. It's like an Indianapolis 500. It was really cool to see it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, biking is interesting. I haven't really done too much of it myself. I need to, uh, you know, probably won't since I had the opportunity and I didn't take it. Yeah, I'm just afraid of crashing and killing myself maybe in a virtual world where it's easier get yourself a peloton uh, what do you think about the peloton it seems like the biggest fad like i can't believe that stock is worth so much money maybe i'm wrong i do indoor biking but i i'm not on a peloton do you use it's like good a, exercise is it a good ipad do you use like an ipad app to ride yeah, I have an iPad hooked up like on a tripod in front of my bike. And the bike and the trainer that I have my bike hooked up to can communicate with the iPad so it you can control the resistance via apps on the iPad. That's pretty cool. What about your butt? Does your butt hurt from like all that bike sitting? Yes, okay. Can. Just... Gotta get used to it. Yeah, half an hour is not that bad. Yeah, I in indoors, it's no worries. Well, it's actually worse indoors because when you're outdoors, you're indoors. You don't coast. You don't really stand up. Right. So I I usually do shorter rides indoors. Yeah, the other thing we're also linked by an Apple Watch connection. We uh we can see each other's move calories and stuff, which is kind of fun. We are. I don't spy on your calorie i haven't looked in a while I used, very often i used to be it used to alert me every time all my apple watch friends like there's something 
but I've, I've since canceled that. Um, this has been a great show. We have learned a lot about Jacob Sinex. We have learned how to become a better consultant. We have learned how to become a better analytics person. We have learned how to create your own teams, manage them remotely. We learned a lot about bicycling. We learned a little bit about Pavel. Um, I think crypto, check out Chia Network. Um, any last words from you? No, I don't have any other words, Pavel. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on again. That Pummelcast bus rolling again. We'll be coming at you with lots more episodes soon. May the data always be with you. Data Pavel. Bye.